As Shelley said, tonight's part two of our series, Faith and Work, and we come into this teaching tonight kind of freshly aware that God designs every human being with certain gifts, talents, aptitudes, and as uh, humans are created, as they are born, and as they develop with these, these talents and aptitudes, uh, they end up going in different uh, occupations, different fields of work. And because God has designed individuals with certain, certain gifts and aptitudes, uh, we uh, are conditioned and we are uh, aware that we should respect all lines of work. And so we talked last week about how every occupation, every kind of work, there's honor in that. There's not degrees of honor that some work is more honorable than others. And uh, we, we, we believe that with our whole heart. And then we also talked last week about how it's really healthy to have a balance between work and rest. And we talked about taking a Sabbath rest. And last Sunday, Shelly and I just enjoyed a day of rest. Didn't set the alarm clock. We went for a long walk. We just had a day of leisure. And as a result, we felt really ready for the new week to come on Monday. And uh, so we believe all these things are very pertinent to our perspective with regard to work. We also acknowledge that there are various worldviews and a person's worldview is going to influence their perspective on their work. Now, what is a worldview? Well, I think we know what that is, but the definition I'd like to suggest is the comprehensive perspective from which we interpret all of reality. Did you catch that? Comprehensive perspective from which we interpret all of reality. Of course, that would include work. Now, a Christian worldview is unique. It's really threefold. It consists of these three things. First of all, creation. That there is an original plan and the world, the whole world is good. That was the original plan of creation. The creation narrative we learned from. But that was God's heart that to create a beautiful world that uh, was whole and uh, it was not flawed, it was good, everything was good. But then the second component of a Christian worldview is the, is the problem. We have the plan of creation, but then there's a, a problem that, that surfaces in the paradise called Garden, the Garden of Eden. And as a result of, of Adam and Eve yielding to temptation, allowing sin into the world, then we call this the fall, F-A-L-L, and it simply means that now as a result of sin in the world, we live in a broken world, and everything that happens in a negative way in this world is a result of the fall of humanity. But number three in a Christian worldview is the solution to the fall, and that has to do with redemption, it has to do with restoration, that there is a plan of redemption and restoration for individuals, every person, but ultimately there's a plan of redemption for the whole world. We call this the new heavens and the new earth, and that day is coming. Now this isn't the time to take a deep dive into the theology of redemption and restoration, but that solution is a part of a Christian's worldview, that there's hope, that there's hope. Now, a Christian worldview shapes a Christ, follower, a Christ follower's work, but doesn't mean that they are constantly speaking about or working 
on Christian topics in their work. And I think that's so true of Boston, you know, maybe in the Midwest and different parts of the country, maybe the South, there's different uh, expressions of this, but we, we're very accustomed in the Northeast that the followers of Christ often are, are doing work that is not um, on a Christian topic per se, and they're not talking about their faith during the day, and that's quite okay, that's quite okay. Instead, think of the gospel as a lens through which you see everything in the world, including your work. So you're putting on some really cool shades and you're looking through a lens that the gospel is the filter by which you see everything, including your work. Now the view through this gospel lens prompts questions like, What's the storyline of the culture in which I live in the field of my work? What parts of the dominant worldview are essentially in line with the gospel so that I can agree and align with them? Let me give you an example of this. The Christian worldview is that humanity is responsible as caretakers for the earth. Now, that view will align with a lot of other worldviews that are not Christian. In fact, there's a lot of worldviews that believe that humans are caretakers of the earth, that we should be about being good stewards of the earth, the world that, is, that we live in. And so on those topics, Christians should align with others of different worldview perspectives and come into an agreement that how can we work together on this particular topic? Because we're in agreement. And it's too often, it's like, the Christian mentality is us and them. And there's like this wall between and we, we don't want to agree on anything. I say we, not me, but you know, in terms of Christians, people of faith in Jesus Christ, oftentimes they, they don't look for any common ground. And I think that's a huge mistake. Another view through the lens prompts questions like, what parts of the dominant worldview cannot be resolved without Jesus Christ? Where must I challenge my culture? There are points that we need to push a little bit in terms of convictions that we have and we need resolution with Jesus Christ that, that will come and bring a sense of, uh, of resolve and of hope. Jesus certainly needs to intersect culture in, in many regards. So these are deep questions, right? And so I have in my notes, you can breathe now. You can take a deep breath because, and these are things that are hard to put into practice. It's not like we, we're thinking about these things all the time, right? Because we're busy people. We have students that are here. We have those that are in the workforce and we're all busy. We're all busy. When can we take a step back and reflect about perspective and purpose and how we can look at our worldview and actually look at it through this particular lens of the gospel. If this series serves as a prompt to us at least start thinking about such things, I think that's a good thing. You see, the gospel helps us to see every aspect of our life in a new light. When it comes to relationships that we have, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to family, when it comes to life goals that we have and kind of the mission that we embrace with our life and also when it comes to our work. 
Being an authentic Christian gives us new perspective. I'd like to share three points tonight, and the first really goes along with that statement. The first point is this, the gospel gives new perspective and priorities for our work. New perspective and new priorities in the work that we do. I'm sure that you have heard maybe some of the story of how the Hershey Chocolate Company was founded. That sounds pretty good right now, a Hershey chocolate bar. I like it with almonds myself. Milton Hershey founded the Hershey Chocolate Company in 1903 with the innovation of putting milk into the chocolate bar. The company prospered as did all the dairy farmers in the surrounding countryside. But when the depression hit and business fell apart, Hershey committed to not lay off his workers. He kept his employees. What he did, he decided to create his own public works projects in the town that he lived in. He built houses. He had an amusement park built. Our family's been there. It's it's a fun place, Hershey, PA. He also built a hotel. So he looked through a lens of we're in this time of great adversity. Nobody's buying chocolate bars because they don't have money for chocolate bars. So how can we take this situation and turn it for the good? And literally the rest is history, but there's even more. Toward the end of his life, he and his wife, who were childless, but they loved children, thus the amusement park, They founded a boarding school for orphans to give them practical skills within a supportive community. The trust that runs the school owns a large large portion of the company's stock, so today the school is funded by dividends and stock appreciation. So Mr. Hershey had a different perspective than just the profit bottom line. His perspective resulted in new priorities. Again, a great example for those that are involved in business, those are involved in the workforce. A different perspective, looking through work with a different lens, a gospel lens. Now, during the pandemic, we've seen corporations do similar things. We've seen car manufacturers hit pause on Uh, on the assembly line and, and making cars. Instead, they started making ventilators. We've seen uh, sporting uh, venues such as Fenway Park and, and also Gillette Stadium, where normally these are venues for athletic competitions, but instead they turned into vaccination centers. Different perspectives new priorities for the good of society. In a Christian worldview, profit is simply one of many important bottom lines. Now, speaking of profit, profit is certainly not the reason people become artists. I'm sure you've heard the expression starving artist. They don't go into it for the money, but because they have to because of the art that is in them the expression, the the creativity, the innovation that's in them. 
But a gospel worldview could definitely influence the art that is created for a follower of Christ. And we live in a very artistic city. We have great art in this city, from music to visual art to a wonderful museum, museums rather. A gospel worldview equips the artist for a unique combination of optimism and also realism about life. The broader and more balanced vision of the world is why over the centuries, artists have produced such great works of art. Again, this combination of optimism, hope, that is certainly represented in the gospel, but also realism. This is life today, and so these beautiful expressions of art throughout centuries. So we ask ourselves, how can I work just not with excellence, but also with Christian distinctiveness in my work. We can take a step back, and maybe this is good tonight, a good exercise you can think about, maybe journal about what opportunities are there in my profession for serving people, for serving my field of work, for serving my community at large, What opportunities are there to model competence and excellence? Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 says, whatever you do, do well. What opportunities are there for witnessing for Christ? Good tension that comes with wrestling with these questions results in a deeper place value on our work. We also grow on our appreciation of the work that other Christ followers do, but also the work that unbelievers do as well. Which leads us to our second point, and this has to do with common grace. Common grace recognizes the good work of all people. Now, a very short definition of grace is simply unmerited favor. You can't earn grace, it's given to you. Saving grace is grace that's available for salvation. And we talked about the redemption of mankind. That's that's the the link here with saving grace and redemption available for salvation. But common grace is the grace of God upon all creation. All creation. There's a great story in Isaiah chapter 28, the Old Testament, that illustrates this point. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, Isaiah 28, verse 24. Does a farmer always plow and never sow? Is he forever cultivating the soil and never planting? Does he not finally plant his seeds, black cumin, cumin, wheat, barley, and emmer wheat, each in its own proper way and each in its proper place? The farmer knows just what to do, for God has given him understanding. The heavy sledge is never used to thresh black cumin. Rather, it is beaten with a light stick. A threshing wheel is never rolled on cumin. Instead, it's beaten lightly with a flail. Grain for bread is easily crushed, so he doesn't keep on pounding it. He threshes it under the wheels of a cart but he doesn't pulverize it. The Lord of heaven's armies is a wonderful teacher and he gives the farmer great wisdom. 
Tim Keller writes this about this passage of scripture. He writes, farming is an analogy to all culture making. Every advancement in any field is simply God opening the book of creation and revealing his truth to us. This is called general revelation, an aspect of common grace. The Lord is a wonderful teacher to all of humanity in all kinds of work. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. In Exodus 31 verse one, then the Lord says to Moses, see I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. It's the Spirit of God giving wisdom, giving aptitude, giving understanding, giving knowledge to make these artistic designs. You know, many Christians, however, do not appreciate much of the work of popular culture unless, of course, that work is obviously and maybe overtly Christian. You know, why, why is this, that some Christians have this particular viewpoint? But I'd like to suggest three things. First of all, legalism. There's a lack of understanding about grace, and they have a legalistic view of sin. It plays out with the belief that nothing good can truly come from a person or maybe a company that does not hold to Christian virtues and principles. This is a contradiction, though, of scriptural teaching about common grace. Remember a few years ago, when our kids were of the age that they watched Disney movies like Little Mermaid and, and other kinds of, of movies, um, all of a sudden we get this alert that we're supposed to boycott Disney because Disney had come out with something that was controversial that didn't line up with with Christian principles. And so they were telling Christians, don't go to Disney World, don't go to Disneyland, don't buy any Disney products, don't let your kids watch Disney videos. And I'm like, what? How can I explain this to my seven-year-old that you know that you can't watch Little Mermaid? Because somebody has this view that is a legalistic view. Throwing out the good with something that, yeah, we should avoid, but we shouldn't discard everything about this particular company because they are doing something that we do not feel is Christian. Ryan and I were talking about this before our gathering tonight. And uh, he said this, and he said that others have talked like this. This first time I'd heard it though, Ryan said, You know, Christians invented cancel culture. And I think that's true because of legalism. And legalism is really ugly. It's the kind of thing that says, you know, your kids shouldn't watch Iron Man because Disney did this or that. It's like, what? It's ugly. Another reason that some Christians will not uh, have an appreciation for for the work of other kinds of companies or individuals is an intellectualistic view of common grace instead of embracing 
a dynamic picture of how common grace works in real life, giving us moments of beauty and truth so evident of the work of God. You see, beautiful things can come from those that are not of the faith that we are of. And we should appreciate that. We should affirm that because it's part of common grace upon the earth. Another reason is dualism, creating a separating wall between the sacred and the secular. Dualism results in a disengagement from popular culture and often carries over into dualism at work. The better way to view common grace is to embrace grace that results in an appreciation for good and beautiful work by all people, both believers and unbelievers. And I believe this too is, serves as a bridge, a relationship with those in our city, those in our, in our world, that we do not line up with a worldview that's the same. But we could have friendship, we can have appreciation and affirm one another in, in the gifts and the work that is being done. And this is a good thing. You know, we should, as followers of Christ, be about building bridges and having a really warm relationships with those that, that do not believe like we do and, and hopefully in time there will be those that will be drawn to relationship with Jesus Christ. So it doesn't work well for many purposes for us to have this dividing wall between us and those who do not have the same worldview as we do. Well, this leads to our final point which is the integration of faith and work leads to engagement in the cultural and vocational worlds of non-Christians. Integration of faith and work. You know, there's a humility, I believe, in this approach of integrating faith and work. It humbly realizes that even explicitly Christian work and culture will always have some idolatrous, self-serving aspects to it. Let me, let me reframe that. For those that are even doing ministry, vocational ministry, there's sometimes idolatrous, self-serving aspects that can come into even a ministry and those that are doing vocational ministry. COVID revealed, for example, the idolatrous danger of public speaking for many pastors. Reduced to speaking to a congregation via Zoom, or in a relatively empty room via live stream, many pastors became distressed because they lost the high that comes from speaking to an audience. The affirmation, the sometimes in certain religious services, the talk back, the amens, but they need that. They, it was like it pumped them up and there was an adrenaline rush almost and they didn't know how to handle you know, speaking to a computer or, you know, or, in, and we have a smaller group to, tonight that's gathered. And as, you know, this is really reflective of still, we're in a, still in a pandemic, not quite all the way through it. It's getting better. We thank the Lord for that. But this caused a lot of pastors to do some soul searching. Like, what am I in this for? What's motivating me as a pastor, as a preacher? Is it the adulation of a crowd or, or is it the essence of proclaiming the gospel? 
Ryan and I listened to a podcast called Church Pulse, and they were talking about this, and there have been surveys, like the Barner Research Group and others that have done surveys, and as a result of this tension between those that are, you know, the pastors that have struggled with this issue, there have been a lot of pastors that have actually resigned and left the ministry. So whatever we're doing in our work, there can be idolatrous, self-serving, ugly things that can creep in. So maybe, just maybe, the work of us Christians isn't always as pure as we think. And maybe, just maybe, the work of non-Christians isn't as vile as we sometimes think. So a lot to think about. I think as I have prepared this this afternoon, and as I still am kind of wrestling with some of this in my own spirit, I think it's good to really reflect on this and to take uh, kind of account of how we are approaching our work and are we really looking through uh, the gospel lens in terms of a perspective for what we're doing and why we're doing it and ask some of these questions that will perhaps align us with really the, the ultimate experience in the work that we do and how God designed us and how he has led our lives. So before Shelley comes and leads us in a time of reflection and prayer and we'll sing a song together, I'd just like to kind of summarize what we've talked about tonight. First of all, as we approach our work, may the gospel, the good news, give us a fresh perspective on the work that we do. May we understand that common grace means really wonderful work can be done with believers and unbelievers alike. And may we celebrate all good work, no matter who is originating it. Again, this can be a relationship bridge. It can be something that we should be about, recognizing beautiful things and the good work that's being done in the city of Boston. And we may not agree with, with everything. Say we, we have a mayor now. We have an interim mayor now since... Uh, or since Mayor Walsh has moved on to Washington, D.C. And so I'm sure that there'll be something sometime that we may not agree with uh, from our mayor, but there's also a lot of good things that the mayor's doing. I've, I've already noticed some really good things that she's doing, and, and we should affirm that and support that, and, and it's all good to recognize the good. And maybe, maybe she won't do anything that we're like, what was that? But sometimes it happens in... in whether it's politics or whatever it might be, that we can affirm, we can build relationship, we can celebrate the good that is happening. And may we integrate faith into our work so we do not have a, a dualistic, compartmentalized work life. May we integrate our faith in our work in such a way that we're living one life, not a compartmentalized life, and that it's all for the glory of God and for the good, the common good of our society that we live in, our community, our neighborhoods, and all the work that we do.